You're listening to A Not-So-Private Practice, and we are your hosts, Steph and Laura. Consider this your backstage pass to all the weird and wonderful things that happen behind the curtain of group practice ownership. So here we are, last episode of season one. I know. I I feel a real sadness about it. Me too. It's been so much fun. Yeah. And in the spirit of our podcast, we thought we'd kind of pull back the curtain of creating the podcast about pulling back the curtain on group practice ownership So meta, Laura. Yeah. So meta. meta. We wanted to tell you a little bit more about the experience of doing this and some of the more notable moments along the way. Remember when we got our first bad review this season? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this whole experience has been so much fun and it has been Mm -hmm. so different and it has been like, you know, so funny to like drive in my car and listen to my own self and like hear from people from my life that I haven't heard from in so long. And Uh all of that has been great. And when I think about that bad review, I like feel a bit of a drop in my stomach. Yeah. You know? And we had had just surprising amounts of support. And like Steph said, people from the wood, coming out from the woodworks who yeah. were just letting us know that they're listening. People in our industry, a lot of people not in our industry yeah. who've been listening. And so we were riding a bit of a high yeah. uh, as our first few episodes dropped. And then we got this review from someone, one-star review, and the title was terrible. Yeah. And that was the most heart-wrenching part of it is that it was yeah. one star and it said terrible. But, yes. you know, as we further like kind of deep dove into the review, I mean, essentially, they just didn't like hearing about how much we like each other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They wanted something that was just more business focused. Right. Right. And, and so, not a quote unquote love story. Yeah. I told my now nine-year-old about it, about our bad review. And I was like, yeah, you know, they were complaining that we seem to spend a lot of time talking about our affection for one another and not as much time talking about business things. And my daughter said something like, you know, I think if I was hearing that bad review, mom, I would just turn to them and say, wow, thank you. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) that was where we landed was just like, who doesn't like a good love story? Right. Yes. Let's get into it. Well, I would be remiss if I didn't talk a little bit about Judy this episode. Yeah, of course. So as we mentioned in our very first episode, uh, Steph and I had come out of a practice that collapsed under the weight of some very serious allegations. That was sort of what happened before we opened our practice. And that left me personally in a season of really questioning my intuition. I think Similar to you, Steph, I had such a strong sense about mm-hmm. joining this practice. You mm-hmm. did too, right? Mm-hmm. At the time, yeah, of yeah. course. What it am I... felt like, I, I mean, yeah, I remember sitting there when I went to interview and being like, I'm supposed to be here. Yes. Yeah. Similar for me. One of those sort of, you know, metaphorical cloud party moments like, mm-hmm. oh, this is right. This mm-hmm. is where I'm supposed to be. And so when it collapsed um, and a lot of people were negatively affected by that in the process, I found myself questioning, like, was I wrong? Yeah. Did I hear my intuition wrong? Or is my intuition broken? Like, does my intuition point me to things that aren't good for me? And that just left me in a season of kind of struggling to trust myself. Yeah. 
So I went on a mission to learn about intuition. At the time, I was listening to podcasts. I was reading books. I was trying to sort out like, what is intuition? And can I trust my intuition? And in that process, I found this woman named Judy G. I actually met her on a podcast. Hmm. She had done several episodes on intuition. That was sort of her field of expertise. And she was incredibly knowledgeable and just so accessible. Like, as I listened to her, I was like, gosh, this woman, like, I really, I really like this woman. So then I found her book, read her book cover to cover. And I'm not quite sure what inspired this, but one day I just reached out to her. Mm -hmm. And I knew she lived on the other side of the world, was not in my circles at all, called herself an intuitive healer. And uh, I just decided to reach out. So I did. And we booked an appointment. And she uh, became essentially my therapist for a year and a bit. Yeah. And um, Judy died quite suddenly at the end of May. It was unexpected. Her departure, we had a session booked mid-May that she had to cancel because she wasn't feeling well. And the plan was that we would resume our work together when she was back on her feet. And that moment never came. So I never got to tell her about this podcast. But in our first session, Judy and I, uh, she had this picture for me. She said, she described me as a glass roundhouse. And she said to me something like, it's just your nature, Laura, to be transparent. So this house, it's like surrounded by windows and the interior of it is spacious and bright. It's filled with light. Uh, but there's this one corner of this house that's sort of like in disrepair. It's been neglected. It's ramshackle. And that was really the focus of our work together was this portion of the house that I was metaphorically in disrepair, my interior house. And so I met Judy because I wanted to sort out my feelings about my intuition. And I had this sense that I was a larger audience was coming into my life. So in our first session, I talked about the story of distrusting my intuition. I said, I don't know what this is, Judy. Like, I don't have any idea what this means, but I just keep having this sense like a larger audience is coming. And that terrifies me. Like, Mm. I don't trust myself. So how could I possibly trust myself in front of more people? And, you know, this sort of metaphorical corner of the house, I was like, the last thing I want is for anyone to see Mm. this corner of my house that's been, that's kind of fallen apart and I don't know what to do with it. So I was reflecting um, a few days ago on what I would say to her now if I had the chance to go back to this metaphor. And the kind of image that came to mind was that, I don't know if you've ever walked around like a European city. Like I think of the moments where Mm. I've walked through cities in Italy and I come across a fountain and I'm like, probably this fountain's really important. Right. But I don't know why, but I Mm -hmm. bet it has a rich, momentous history. But it's not like a giant cathedral where I'm like, whoa, something cool happened here. It's just like, I bet there's a story. And that's kind of the feeling when I think about this house metaphor she gave me is like, there's been a renovation. That corner of the house has been repaired. And if you walked by it, you would be like, huh, I bet there's a story there. But it's not so obvious that you would know what the story is. And so that was, that essentially captures like the gift that she gave me in the year of our working together. Uh, But it didn't really occur to me. You and I did our first recording session. Mm -hmm. I was driving home that day thinking about Judy and a couple things hit me. One thing that hit me was, oh my gosh, this is the wider audience. Uh Like it didn't 
I didn't realize it. Yeah. I didn't realize it when you and I decided to do this, that there was this alignment between what I'd been saying to her. So I thought, holy shit, like this is the wider audience I mm. knew was coming. And whoa, like this interior house of mine is repaired enough that I'm not afraid anymore mm. of people seeing me. And the second thing that hit me was how weirdly full circle to have met Judy on a podcast and to come to the culmination of our work together through being on a podcast. Yeah, it's cool. It's wild. Yeah. And I had planned in our last session to tell her about the podcast. I never quite got a chance to tell her about it. And so in many ways, this season has been dedicated yeah. to her and our work together. And sitting here now, Steph, like, it just makes so much sense that it would be with you mm-hmm. that mm. I would come to some completion around kind of the season of like backing away and sorting myself out and then coming back kind of more publicly into mm-hmm. the world like you and I have done this journey together yeah. all along. So yeah, seems now not so surprising that we would end up on a podcast together. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I also think back to, you know, over this year that you were working with Judy and, you know, the Wednesday afternoon updates that I would mm-hmm. get from your mm-hmm. conversations with her. And, you know, on more than one occasion, you would say things to me like, I'm supposed to do something bigger. Mm-hmm. I'm supposed to do something bigger. What I'm taking from this experience with Judy is that, like, there's more. Yeah, exactly. you know. And so the pieces didn't totally come together for me either around, like, oh, yeah, this podcast is the more. Yeah. But, you know, as soon as the first session was finished recording mm-hmm. and you called me and you were like, this is the more. Yeah, I know. Well, okay, it felt so organic. Yeah. I was like, oh, of course you and I are going to do this. Yeah. It didn't feel momentous yeah. in the way that I imagined this wider audience would feel momentous. It just yeah. felt right. Yeah. And at the same time, you know, there have been little momentous moments. I don't know if you would say this is yeah. true, but, yeah. you know, I I didn't have a, you know, remotely as beautiful experience of coming to this place as Laura did. Mm. Um, But I think that what has surprised me the most, I'm always the one that's like, let's do this, let's do this, Mm -hmm. let's do this. But Mm -hmm. this idea of like being public um, in this way was just like never something that was totally on my radar. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, my grandfather is a Canadian Hall of Fame broadcaster. And so people have told me, you know, my whole life that I have a voice for radio like he did. Mm. And so it's like not so surprising in my own personal way that I'm here, but the publicness of it was not always something that I was, I'm drawn to. Oh my gosh. It reminds me after our first episode, um, Brayden, our fantastic producer turned to Steph and said, Steph, you were (laughs) excellent right out of the gate. And then he turned to me and said, Laura, you improved a lot. Yeah. We didn't give Brayden a heads up on how competitive Laura is, but we walked out and she was like, I do not like being most improved. (laughs) I do not like being most improved. You know, but I think going back to this momentous, these momentous moments, I think, you know, um, the podcast launches and like 30 hours later, we get this email from Brayden about, uh, you know, being on this chart, ranking very high on this Apple podcast chart in our first week, you know, and... And then the f- calls and messages just started mm-hmm. rolling in. Like, people I haven't spoken to, some people I truly have not spoken to in years, mm. who saw this on social media and who called me, left me messages, sent me texts, just being like, this is really cool, so nice to hear your voice. Like, just really meaningful and awesome messages. Yeah. And to me, that was really surprising. Like, I mm. found those moments to be like, oh, wow, like, 
people are listening, they like this. Hmm. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk a bit about how it's been behind the scenes. I mean, you and I run a practice. <laughs> yeah. We have our large client loads. Yes. You I have a teach, lot of children. You, I have a lot of kids. Have a lot of We've children. got all kinds of side projects. Like, yeah. let's say a little bit about what it's been like to kind of hold all of these roles over the last several months. Hard. Hard. <laughs> yeah, it's been really hard. And you know, it's funny when people ask me about the podcast, the first thing I say is like, this is the most fun professional thing I think I've ever done. Yeah. When we are sitting here doing it, it is so much fun. But, you know, we walked in the first time and we were like pretty prepared. We kind of knew what we were going to say when we sort of set out to record our first few episodes. And we walked out of here like flying high. Yeah. Minus the whole most improved thing. We were both like really <laughs> feeling good about it. Um, yeah. And I think we got a little big for our britches after that and yeah. didn't prepare as well for the second time that yeah. we came in here. And you it was know, harder. It was harder. Yeah. It felt it felt a lot harder. And we got more clear around what we needed to do to prepare. And that became challenging into itself. It was mm-hmm. like, oh, we need time together, mm-hmm. which we just don't get a lot of these mm-hmm. days. We need time together to like sit and talk and brainstorm and laugh and tell stories so that we can, you know, get a picture of like what these episodes are going to look like. And, you know, as we began to prepare for this final episode, it was really tricky trying Mm. to find enough hours to sit together. And map them out. To map them out. And I have to agree, this is the most fun, creative part of my work life. And sometimes the hardest thing to schedule. Totally. And there are, you know, moments when we're like, okay, we got to sit down and like work on the podcast. And we're both like, ugh. Mm -hmm. And once we do it, it's energizing and fun. Mm -hmm. But it means, it often means a Saturday or Sunday or a late night somewhere because, you know, our plates are so full. Yeah. I was telling you the other day about, so I came into this fall working on the podcast, running the practice. I just took on a teaching position and and it, it's good, 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 good. Everything on my plate is stuff that I want on my plate. Now is the time. I know it's right. I know it's aligned. And it's a lot. Yeah. And I was spending like a lot of time in the day kind of internally protesting, feeling like... She was very grumpy, like for many weeks, very, very grumpy about all of the things on her plate. And like in a confusing way, like, yeah. but it's all so good. But I'm like right. I secretly kind of resent it all, but not really. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it reminds me of that time you told me, you're just not that pleasant to be around lately. That's right. <laughs> Remember from it's episode one, like we that. talk about the hard conversations? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and it was confusing to me too. I'm like... Like, yeah. if it's a yes, like if my internal self is like yes to all these things, why am I? It, it's exhausting to protest constantly, to wake up every morning and think, I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I can do it. Maybe I took on too much. Maybe it's wrong. And so I've been doing some sorting around this, like what's with this internal protest I have to this pile of sort of metaphorically delicious food on my plate. And what became clear to me is that, you know, my whole life, I've gotten feedback about my capacity. I've heard a lot in my life, like, wow, you are able to do so mm. much. You know, wow, Laura, she's got it. She's capable. She's sort of always okay. She's reliable. She's steady. She's strong. Mm. And it's good feedback, right? These are compliments. Sure. And yet it's often had a tinge of loneliness to it. Like, no need to worry about her. No need right. to check in on her. She's right. always got it. And so when I put my finger on that, that was very helpful because I realized the protest is really about the fear 
of aloneness. Uh It's about this thought that I'm going to get relegated to some kind of strange or superhuman camp. Um, Like, oh, she's just not like us. And what I don't want is the loneliness of that. And I know you can relate to this. Yeah. I mean, it's a very, very familiar experience as you talk about it. And I think that like a lot of it, you know, as we've been talking about it over the last couple of weeks, a lot of it feels to me like it's tied to, you know, the societal view of like capacity. It's like, you know, I think about for the last number of months, you have been talking about needing to like move to a small town. I have been, yes. You know, and there has been this story that you have been saying that like, once I move to a small town, things will slow down. Yeah. Things will be easier. It'll be more peaceful. Yeah. And, you know, I think that in some ways, society views capacity as this like women who have this kind of capacity in this sort of like isolating role that it's like, oh, your plate actually just shouldn't be that full. Mm -hmm. But if it is like, good for you mm-hmm. and like we don't need to take care of you right because you, you got obviously it under have control. some kind of superhuman capacity that's right yeah. but like also so much of the like popular culture self-care rhetoric right now mm-hmm. is about just like take things off your plate mm-hmm. put things down mm-hmm. delegate don't feel bad yeah. don't feel guilty and yeah. like every time for the last couple of months where we have sat down and you have protested not totally silently <laughs> about everything on your plate there's just never been this indication that, mm-hmm. like, there was a right thing to put down. Yeah. And I appreciate you saying all that because it just clarifies that it felt right, but it seemed wrong mm-hmm. somehow to have mm-hmm. such a full plate. And as I've talked about this over the last few weeks, I've circled around themes of, like, does it make me a bad mom? Does it make me uh, an imbalanced human? Is it that I have bad boundaries? And and the confusing part was, I was like, but it's right. Yeah. It's right. So like, why are there all of these questions and protests yeah. that poor Steph has had to listen to? So as you say that, it's like, yeah, there is like a real cultural, potentially gendered experience around this for me that having this much capacity, like it must be wrong. There's no way I should have this much on my plate yeah. and have it be okay. But where I've landed is like, but it is. Like yeah. I can, I do have the capacity yeah. for all these things and I choose them. And yeah, it's a very full season of life and it's a wanted full totally. season of life. Yeah, it makes me think a lot about this idea of balance, you know, maybe just sort of tacking on to what I was saying earlier. It's like, I've come to kind of question this idea of balance a lot lately mm. where, mm. you know, part of me feels that like, I heard this, piece of advice somewhere recently. Peloton. Oh, yes, it was you, Peloton. I remember you told me about this. I think oh, about yes. it all the time. Oh, yes. yes. Oh, my favorite instructor, yeah. Robin Arzon from Peloton, yeah. said something on a run to me. I feel like she's talking to me. Um, mm-hmm. It's actually not about balance. It's about priorities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that we in our society are seemingly attempting to put stuff down, pick stuff up, navigate everything so we can be in balance. Yeah. But, you know, the truth of it is that the way I heard what she said anyways, is that balance is kind of elusive. Yeah. It's somewhat unattainable. And I think for people like you and I, who are constantly doing so many different things, you know, this idea of finding balance perpetually puts us in this state of like resentment and frustration because we have this desire to not put anything down and you can't be balanced if you don't put things down. So the way I've been thinking about it over the last few months, thank you, Peloton, is <laughs> about how I'm going to prioritize mm-hmm. things instead mm-hmm. of trying to, you know, balance everything so that the scales are equal. Yeah, yeah. It feels so liberating. Totally. You know, totally to does. think about this, that I can choose to do all these things and it is right. Yeah. 
That feels so liberating. Yeah. It feels important to talk about, you know, as we wrap this up, I think about, you know, the experience of, I mean, I do some coaching with, you know, other female therapists, mostly female therapists who are working in private practice. And, you know, this is the constant Mm. conversation, particularly for those who are sole owners of their practices. Mm. You know, it is a big full plate. Many Mm. of them are moms or have other dependents that they're responsible for and um, other passions and things that they want to do and other relationships that they value and treasure and want to make time for. And this idea of like, needing to find balance somehow because, you know, having, appearing to have so much capacity is going to be isolating for them. Yes. Is like a really complex dance. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And and tricky to sort out. Like, I've certainly been one to say yes when I ought to have said no, Mm -hmm. you know? So uh, I know that, that there's a, can be a sense of pressure to do what's right for others and take on projects that aren't necessarily aligned with me. And that's one thing to sort, but I think this is different. I think it's like, it has almost felt taboo to me, but in this moment, it just feels spacious that it can be right to do many things Mm -hmm. and spending a lot of time questioning, like, is it okay? Should I have this much on my plate? Am I balanced? It just hasn't served me this year. It's been much more useful to stand in the truth that like, yeah, I want this and I have capacity for it. And it's tiring and it's right. Yeah. And it's made her so much less grumpy right. now that she's come to a place of acceptance around it. Yeah, yeah. I've been hearing that feedback from multiple people. So, yes. <laughs> All jokes aside, though, you know, for you and I as partners, this has been like a pretty transformational experience. Yeah. You know, not to, podcast. you know, not to disappoint the person who doesn't want to hear about a love story, but right. buckle up. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, when I think about the possibility of like these 11 episodes being all that we produce here, mm-hmm. and I don't know if that's true yet, mm-hmm. but if when I think about that, I think about like what a cool way to like cement the story of like how we came to mm-hmm. be and the journey that we have been on, you know, and I think part of the most meaningful, you know, process that's, you know, come from all of this, as much as it was kind of laborious to find time to sit together and to, you know, when we get time to sit together, it's like, what are we going to tackle? Interns, office, Mm. podcast, Mm. clinicians, Mm. money, you know, there's always a million things on our to-do list. And so it became a bit laborious finding the time, as we said, and yet, I don't know. I think that, you know, it's been a number of years since we have had these kinds of like meaningful, reflective conversations. We used to do this all the time when we were launching the business. You know, we spent so many hours together and it was all... visioning and reflecting. Visioning and dreaming and and reflecting. and, And now, you know, this podcast has given us like such... A beautiful opportunity to mm-hmm. like do that yeah. again, which I have just valued so much. Me too. You know? It brings me home to this truth. I, uh, I've i talked about how I really love to run therapeutic groups in other episodes. In a lot of the groups I run, people will share portions of their story and then we all do feedback. So someone mm. shares a story and then everyone in the group gives feedback. And the way that we teach people to do feedback is just say what's moving in you. Just Mm. say your strongest reaction. It is tempting to think it's going to be more useful to give answers or to give information or to give solutions, and it's not. Mm. The most potent, helpful thing you can do is just tell the person about what's happening in you, the story of listening to them. And I really know that to be true. Right. 
that it is much We've more seen potent it time and time. Yeah, again. to yeah. hear someone speak from their heart about how they're impacted than to hear them say what someone else ought to do. And so I just come home to that truth again here, sitting with you, that we could get on here, and, and there's nothing wrong with this, and disseminate a lot of advice and information that we've picked up through the journey of running a practice. But I think what's more true to you and I is to lean into what we know about sharing the story. Yeah. Like sharing the impact, not just the information, but sharing the impact on us of walking through this story of the last several years and getting to sit here and like you said, capture it and cement it in time is incredibly meaningful. Yeah. Yeah. I I honestly couldn't agree more with that. And so, you know, I guess as we sign off here, we just really want to thank you all for listening. Thank you for rating. Thank you for messaging. Thank mm. you for calling. Yeah, We have loved hearing from all of you and, you know, hope to continue to hear from you as you continue to share and listen to the podcast. Yeah. We hope that there have been some useful nuggets that you have taken away. Yeah. And, you know, TBD on season two. Exactly. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to A Not-So-Private Practice. Please be sure to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts and throw down a review if you are enjoying the show, as it helps other listeners find us. In real life, you can find Laura and Steph at www.anotsoprivatepractice.ca. A special thanks and shout out to Podfather Creative for producing and editing this episode. 